Hello and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast. This is volume four, issue 153 on Gravity Rush. Before we get cracking into that, I'd like to uh, to let you know that you can play along with Cane and Rinse volume four. The next five issues are going to be Super Smash Brothers series, Silent Hill 2, Diddy Kong Racing, Skylanders, and then it's Christmas time, believe it or not, for Nights into Dreams and, of course, Christmas Nights. Um, keep an eye on CanaanRinse.com for the schedule beyond those five. Uh, the blog, links to Merchandise Stall, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, and YouTube channel. You can get in touch with us at those various places. Do definitely uh, subscribe to us, uh, review and rate us if you can on iTunes. Uh, we're going to try and entertain you for the next hour and a half, so plenty of time to put, uh, put finger to key and produce a masterpiece of a review for us. That would be most appreciated. Uh, I also want to say, please do check out our new podcast. It's on a separate podcast feed. If you search for Sound of Play, you will find by now three issues of our fortnightly video game music podcast, uh, which I can heartily recommend. Is there anything, Jay, you wanted to uh, say about Sound of Play at the moment? No. <laughs> no <not really>. <laughs> <laughs> do you oh, listen to fine. that? What a salesman, isn't it? <laughs> do go and listen to that I've, I've just been listening to episode 1 it's fantastic uh, I've already spoiled his inclusion joining me, I'm James Carter in this issue, uh, Jay Taylor hello also Ryan Heyman oh, you can see me too Travelers met 1 out of 16 <laughs> very good and Brian Tarrant I always sound woefully underprepared compared to Ryan hello everyone <laughs> <laughs> he puts us all to shame. He does, he does, every time. <laughs> um, I should say, Gravity Rush isn't necessarily lauded for its story, I would say, uh, but we are going to talk story, which means there are going to be spoilers. So from here on out, everything contained within Gravity Rush's fair game. We'll obviously try our best to avoid spoilers in any other games, but Gravity Rush is going to be dissected and uh, and spoken about at length. I say Gravity Rush, also known as Gravity Days. Um, It's worth noting that very early on, actually, some uh, three years ago now, via Jay himself, uh, an interview was put together where several people from our community and several of of the crew you hear on these podcasts put questions to Keishiro Toyama. uh, And he was very, very kind to to respond to those, uh, Jay, yourself, and, and your good lady uh, put those those questions together and did the translations, I believe. Yeah, did indeed, yeah. Um, very interesting stuff going into uh, his background. Uh, I should say Keichiro Toyama, the, the director and designer of, of Gravity Rush. It's been talked about on the Silent Hill show previously, actually. We didn't mention his involvement in Snatcher, I don't believe, when we covered that show, but issue 142 of the Kanan Rinse podcast way back 11 issues ago now, uh, a couple of months back, uh, we discussed Snatcher. You can find out all our thoughts about uh, Hideo Kojima's Snatcher there. Uh, Keichiro Tayama was a graphic designer on that game. Uh, more notably, by by some distance, I would say, he was uh, director, writer, and also background designer, I believe, for Silent Hill. And you can find a Kane and Rinse issue covering Silent Hill only two issues ago, issue 151, if you'd like to go back and, and hear Leon and, uh, and the guys talk about that. As for this game, this is a very different beast. Uh, I suppose Tayama-san, known for... 
uh, known for survival horror games, but Gravity Rush is not that. Uh, His Project Siren team, in conjunction with uh, Sony Computer Entertainment Japan Studio, were known by the name Siren for the Siren series of um, survival horror games, the the Sony exclusive series. But when the Vita was Mm -hmm. launched, the aim for Project Siren became to put out a game that would show off uh, the the PlayStation Vita's capabilities. So the touch interface, the tilt controls, the dual sticks, all the things that the Vita was being sold on at the time. And Gravity Rush is the game that did that. That's not to say that um, that this game was born merely for that. It's something that, that had been worked on for a long time before then. Uh, but we'll get on to that a bit later. Um, also notable... Um, Kohei Tanaka, the composer for um, for Gravity Rush, we like to mention composers particularly because often, as Sound of Play demonstrates, video game music is brought to us in the form of video game but stands on its own as a, a separate piece of artwork. Um, he is known for Sakura Wars and Gunbuster, uh, lots and lots of other anime and video game projects. Not many that I'd encountered before, I've got to say, um, but in, in the case of Gravity Rush, Again, we're going to be talking about the sound later on, and it's uh, thanks to Kohei Tanaka that uh, that we have that music. All right, so to the release of Gravity Rush. Uh, As Gravity Days was released alongside the PlayStation Vita in Japan on the 9th of February 2012, so we're talking two and a half years ago now, uh, which seems odd to think that the Vita's been out for that long, but it has. Um, This was a game that, was originally scheduled to come out with PlayStation Vita in in Western regions as well, but didn't. It's it slipped. It was delayed. I think only once, um, and ended up coming out mid June. So twelfth of June two thousand twelve for the US, thirteenth of June two thousand twelve for uh, the EU. So it didn't end up being a launch title, but it was. I think I'm. I, I, it is fair in saying, and and is part of my history with it. One of the more anticipated. Uh, PlayStation Vita titles and one of the ones that was more recognisable around launch time as one that people were looking forward to and holding out for. So when it comes to our histories, Jay, um, your history with Gravity Rush, when did you come to the game? Yeah, it's kind of a weird, I suppose it's it's not that weird, but it was, I got the game probably March of 2013 and that was when I signed on with PS Plus because it was available as one of the it wasn't one of the monthly offers. It was one of those long-term offers where it was, was, you know, yeah, so it was there. And, yeah, so that was, I downloaded it straight away onto my um, PlayStation 3, and, you know, you got the little install there. And it sat there until November of 2013, and that's when we actually bought a Vita. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, and, and I've only just played it to my shame. But I've always got this. There's always a, a far greater hurdle to sit down and play handhelds than there is with the the, the primary consoles, if you will. And so it always takes me. Uh, basically, I've only ever done it for this podcast. Again, to my shame. But uh, it's you know, it's one of those things. But yeah, so that's kind of my muddled history of it, I suppose. Brian, how about you? Uh, a Gravity Rush caught my eye when it was reviewed as an import review of gravity days 
back in, it must have been February 2012, it was Christian Donlan's review for Eurogamer and he scored mm. it 9 out of 10 and I thought, yeah, this sounds interesting, this sounds quirky, uh, something I think I, I might like, but I didn't actually get a Vita until uh, March 2013 mm. and then the, the main draw for me was uh, Uncharted, the, uh, the the Vita version of that. Uh, as, and so I didn't, I didn't take out PS Plus for a while, I don't think. So it was later on, later on at the tail end of 2013, like Jay, that I actually uh, got round to to playing it. Yeah, excellent. And Ryan, how about you? Were you were you there at launch? I, I was not. I kind of held out on getting a Vita because right. typically I'm not a huge um, handheld gamer, hmm. and especially since the Vita seemed a little shaky at launch, like whether or not it was going to survive for the long term. Um, but, you know, over the months and months of being subscribed to PS Plus for the PS3 games, I had this growing backlog of uh, of Vita games I really wanted to try out, uh, yeah. Gravity Rush and Virtue's Last Reward and all these like wonderful titles mm. that were just sitting there in my library if I only had the system to access them with. So I, I decided to, you know, I gave in probably also around March of 2013 and uh, bought myself a Vita and downloaded all those games and have been playing through them ever since it's a you know, <laughs> wonderful collection that they gave you for free well not for yeah. free but as a part of the ps plus subscription yeah excellent um i'm in the very odd position normally at this point i'm explaining why you know apologizing for being late to a game and apologizing for for only having just played a game that many other people have uh, played at, at launch or or many many years ago i am in the I suppose, pleasant position of being able to say that I was one of those people who got a Vita at launch. So uh, 20, I think 21st, 22nd of February, 2012, it was in the UK. Um, and I'd been looking forward to this game for a while. It's it's a really odd situation because I found it quite difficult to find out information about this game. I heard odd people talk about it on podcasts, but whenever I would try and search for it, because of the title difference and the, the direct English translation as Gravity Days and then obviously what it was going to be called uh, in in the UK and, and US, uh, it was quite difficult to just Google search and actually find out information. It was a bit confusing as to find out when the game was going to be released, etc. But I was uh, one of those people, again, that bought it first day. Um, I'd picked up a Vita, and this was one of the games that I was really looking forward to, so irrespective of the fact that it was four months further down the line, I, I still picked up the Vita and waited. Uh, not patiently, there was plenty to play on, on the Vita at the time, but I was certainly looking forward to this game and keeping an eye on when it was going to be released. Um, and so I, I picked up a physical copy, uh, when it came out, and obviously I've got the PlayStation Plus copy now as as well, um, but I've still kept hold of the physical copy uh, for a game like Gravity Rush. For some reason, I, I think of it as a retail release rather than a downloadable game. I still have that kind of last-generation divide between the two, um, and so it seems quite nice to have that little card, I suppose, not even cartridge. Uh, but yeah, I'd looked forward to it for a while and couldn't wait to get my hands on it, I've got to say. One of the things that I particularly was looking forward to about this game, all the artwork I had seen for it was, th there's no other way to put it, I, I felt astonishing. It looked mm -hmm. beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, it had a real aesthetic to it that I, that I was really drawn to. Um, 
I was going to mention sound, but we'll actually come back to that. I like to start with sound, but in this case, given I've thrown myself into the the visual aesthetic, there there's um, a lot of particularly Japanese animation actually that I would class as Euro styled. Um, Studio Ghibli do a lot of that sort of thing. Um, I I sometimes have a a difficult job trying to explain why I think it's Euro influenced rather than more traditional Japanese animation because obviously there's arguably no more Japanese, none more Japanese animation studio than Studio Ghibli. And yet I think of their art style as something more European influenced. Um, and the best way I have of explaining that, I suppose, is uh, a film like Triplets of Belleville. In the, That's a, a European animation set in Europe. Um, the other one is uh, the way Disney did New Orleans in The Princess and the Frog. It has a, there's a French aesthetic to the architecture and to the city, and I think Gravity Rush shares that quite a bit. Um, I really like the that type of art style where the architecture, um, not so much the characters, although there is a, a a certain European style to their clothes and and that kind of thing, but it definitely gives me that feel of the animation style in Gravity Rush. Um, how did it come across to you guys? What did you think about the the art style, particularly when you when you first saw the game? I think all the promotional art is very striking, especially uh, the pictures of Cat standing sideways on a building and kind of looking out into this this green, yellow, brown city. All these um, uh, non primary colors, and it's it's very very interesting look. There's a lot of uh, just by the nature of the whole gravity mechanic, a lot of lines and characters going in weird kind of perpendicular directions. And so, mm. I don't know, it's always, always very pleasing to look at. Yeah. But the, the, the cover art, I think was what captured my attention. As you say, Ryan, the, uh, the, the sideways on the building, uh, with the, you know, with the head dragging downwards, uh, it, it just, it, I, I do like the look of the game and I do think it looks, um, really good in motion but it was actually it was i was more attracted to it from a mechanical perspective than mm. i was uh, necessarily from a an art style perspective although there was i i sort of recognized a, a similarity there to the uh the, the art design of something like bayonetta which i think is again another mm. it's a japanese game that is kind of has a a european look and feel to it it's sort of filtered through the the you know the japanese sensibility to make it sure uh, yeah. look a certain way uh jay how about you? The the look of the game. Is there anything you found particularly um, particularly striking about it? Yeah, I mean the look. I mean I'm kind of the same. I mean I didn't. Make, I, I when I you were talking about our histories. I mean the game had been on my radar, you know, considerably longer than before I'd actually picked it up. But yeah. the yeah. the thing was, the artwork was the thing that stood out to me a lot. Um, I'd read interviews where he was talking of the influences, and the influences were some were comic artists, particularly sort of uh, uh, you know a French artist um, who I guess is is um, he was known as Mobius, but he was his name was Jean Giraud, but yep. his his he, I, I heard his name mentioned in interviews as, as being one of the sort of one of the primary sort of influences with the with yeah. the look and and as, uh, sort of the aesthetic, if you will, the visual side of it. Particularly, mm. it struck me with the color palette. The color palette is very reminiscent of some of his work. So it was like mm. that stuff straight away kind of stood out to me because it's 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 not the usual thing you see with this stuff, and it it, it 
although I've got issues with the game in general, one thing I can't fault it is is the visual design of stuff. I think it's yeah. really really distinctive. Um, yeah. So yeah, it was. Um, I actually really like the uh, the look of the game quite you know quite a bit, but yeah. I yeah. liked how layered it was as well, actually, because the a lot of the promotional art was based around the sort of top level of the city, but there yeah. were many different. You know, once you when you you fell through the through the world, the deeper mm. you got, there was you know it, it became a lot more industrial. Yeah, and I like mm-hmm. the 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 comparison between the two to get a sense of depth to the place rather than it just being, you know, just yeah. on one level. I th- I, th- I thought that was a, a a nice approach to it, and it was a surprise for someone who'd come into it only seeing screenshots and pre-release art to to actually mm. sort of dig down yeah. into those aspects. I I mean, and it, it is the strongest thing that I take away from the game is just how much. I don't know if this is a good thing or whether it was intentional or whether it's even can be seen as a compliment or, or detrimental towards the rest of the game, but it's the cutscenes. Those mm. cutscenes, yeah. I utterly adore every time yeah. they come up. And, you know, yeah. the whole kind of mechanism, the um, the very fact that they are comic book style, but it's it's the way that they're animated in a very, very subtle ways. I mean, obviously mm. you've got the, gyroscopic sort of control there where you can you know the angle changes and you can move things around it just it it, but it's it's the way they've sort of animated the speech bubbles and the characters themselves just subtly sort of zoom in and out slightly as 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 the sort of panel progresses all that stuff i i really really liked it and it 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 makes me think why doesn't somebody make digital comics like this because this is really cool and you know the amount of times i read digital comics and they're really kind of you know, it, it, you feel like it's just paper-drawn comics that have been scanned and put yeah. onto digi- digitized, and that's all they do. But it's like, see, this is what you can really do with digital yeah. stuff, and it's it's mm. it's stunning. Every single time I came across those cutscenes, in fact, I wish I could just separate them from everything else and just watch them <laughs> on yeah. their own. Yeah. yeah. No, I, I I absolutely agree. Um, one of the things that really stood out uh, t- to me about that was the diorama aspect of it. Mm. I think this this. Uh, directly affected me in the same way you were talking about, Jay, was you notice it just because the, the gyroscope in the Vita yeah. it, it is constantly on. So even if you're just playing it, all you have to do is tilt it slightly and suddenly you notice mm. you can see a little bit more of the panel. And what it makes it feel like is that the the edge of the, the comic book style panel uh, border is a window that you're looking through and it allows you to feel like you're peeking more through the window than you should be. You're, you're seeing Mm -hmm. more than you should be. And what that does is bring you closer and make you want to make you feel like you are, you're literally involved, albeit as a third party in, Mm. in what's going on. Whereas you're absolutely right. A, A very static digital comic book seems more standoffish because you're separated further back from it. It's a very stagnant picture. You weren't there. You weren't seeing this. But what what the dynamicism of that tilt effect, it gives it almost a 3D diorama look. Um, But it it brings you further and closer into it. Uh, I have seen some uh, short films, some animated films that have essentially taken the graphic novels and and, 
as a storyboard, but then animated off that almost. So something like Loki and Thor Blood Brothers, I think it's called, mm -hmm. uh, was one that I saw not that long ago. Uh, I think it's probably on, I think it must be Netflix. Um, and that what that seems to have done is taken the stills from a graphic novel as yeah. the base and then just slightly animated elements of it to mm -hmm. give you the impression that it's a fully animated film when it really, really isn't. Um, I've seen a couple of others that I'm blanking on, but that one stood out and this has that effect. With Gravity Rush, it's 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 just so kind of I don't know. It, it really strikes you visually, and then there's nothing mm. apart from the kind of the gyroscopic action and and the sort of the animation. There's really nothing that they're doing that's that hasn't kind of been done before. But for some reason, it just it works so well within the context of the game itself yeah. as well. And the irony is, although it's not interactive, aside from pressing a button to move mm. on to the next part of the of actually the conversation that's, that's or the scene. only problem i've got a bit of an issue with that because you can't you can't go you can only go forwards you can't go backwards with yeah. that and there was a few times i thought yeah, like, yeah. what yeah. why can't i go back and read it again <laughs> yeah that would have certainly been nice yeah. Yeah. but it, it feels interactive even though yeah. it patently isn't interactive uh whereas i guess another comparison i would make is say mirror's edge they did all of their story in between as as these still comic book well, that that uh, was kind of more traditional flash animation stuff, though, wasn't yeah. it? It wasn't like and and that I don't feel feel worked terribly no. well. But ha maybe had it had a few of these elements where they made it feel more like it, it was almost turning a cutscene into a comic book as you were there, almost. I guess mm. um, then, yeah, I think I think I mean, it's something to be said for these elements actually adding a lot, even if the story or what you're seeing isn't particularly engaging anyway. It gives but that, it something that, an extra layer. That's kind of interesting because, like, I didn't like normally with with this kind of thing when you've got that sort of a different style for cutscenes mm. to the rest of the game. If you're not using in-game engine, and I've criticised games for doing such as Mirror's Edge for not using like in-game or or something yeah. that felt a little less different. But here's a game that yeah. does this, but yet doesn't feel as it doesn't feel it feels balanced and. It works. It, I mean, that's my opinion. I mean, I'm, there may very yeah, well no, be people out yeah. there that sort of think, well, you know, I didn't, yeah. I didn't quite like that stuff. I'm not a, a comic book reader, and I, I just didn't get on with that. I would have preferred like animated cutscenes or something. Yeah. But no, I, I felt it was do. It was, it was one of. My, it's definitely one of my favourite things about the game itself. Mm -hmm. I, th I think it helps. They've, they've obviously used the character models. You know, it, with Mirror's Edge, you you're immediately aware that this is someone's drawing of this character mm. and it's not the character as you would see say faith or or any of the other characters in that game whereas in this case the characters appear in the cutscenes exactly as they look in the game it's just they're mm. in this flat 2d they reuse a lot scene. of panels as well, don't they? They reuse a lot of those. Yeah, sort of, so, yeah. When you've got just the portrait shots of people reacting or, or saying yeah. something themselves, there's a lot of repetition within that stuff, which yeah. it 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 makes me think of um, a lot of like Japanese, if you will, kind of PC games where they used to have text boxes and you would see like the, the character's portrait in the corner of the screen. Things like, I, I suppose uh, the only game that I can think of that uses it that people might be aware of is something like Persona, where you've got the character sort of showing up in yes, the corner yeah. and then the text. Or, or even um, Phoenix Wright or Professor yeah. Layton. Yeah, Similarly, yeah. yeah, you have conversation. Yeah, and it, it, yeah, it yeah. reminds me a little of that kind of thing because you often see the same kind of 
you know, there's only a very a slight variation in some of the character model in, in the character drawings, but they reuse a lot of that kind of stuff because why why wouldn't you? You know, what does it matter? But yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, yeah, the, the other thing I wanted to to draw particular attention to in terms of the look because I think these stand out in the game, and I'm not necessarily sure. I think it's for a good reason. Is the Nevi who are the the main not even antagonists, they're just a, a, a enemy type. They're a force in the game. There's no there's no real suggestion to any great degree that an individual Nevi enemy has any particular autonomy. They're not there's no are almost no maliciousness to them. They're just a, a force that needs to be that is destroying Heeksville, the city, uh, and Cat is, is put at loggerheads with. So I, I'm reluctant to say antagonist because there's antagonists with real agency in in the game but these are kind of the the bread and butter enemy that you face and they the first time i saw them they looked really odd they looked almost and i and i hate to say this i'm sure it wasn't intentional but almost like they were a stand-in for what was going to be there instead yeah yeah i'd agree with that and the reason for that i think is just because and actually there's aspects of them that i really like but they're all just black gooey blobs with slightly different shapes, but really it doesn't matter, and they've all got glowing orange weak points on. It's almost like in an enemy type in a game has been reduced to its simplest form, which is here's your hitbox and here's stuff around it to make it look like an enemy. Um, there are aspects I liked it, but I wondered how you guys felt about seeing the, the Nevi in the game and how you felt they blended into the, the rest of the look of the game. They're kind of like the Heartless in Kingdom Hearts. Uh just being these kind of dark shapes that take on all sorts of different designs. Uh, they aren't, uh, I mean, just like texture wise, all that interesting to look at, uh, kind of like they're like holes in reality almost mm. where you can kind of see through them to like, and it feels like you're looking into like a deeper plane of existence or something, just this yeah. dark mm. space that doesn't seem to reflect anything else around it. Um, but there are some very odd designs and like, kind of off-putting in a really interesting way uh, yeah. like there's a there's like something that's like a shark on top and like a human male legs on bottom <laughs> and they just kind of like flop yeah. around on the ground it's like kind of disturbing and weird yeah and there's uh there's one that's like a has two legs and charges at you with like a giant like a uh lance for a head yeah, uh, yeah. i don't know there's some very bizarre things in there and i don't know those those designs, you have to kind of get close to them to really admire them, but they they were always kind of consistently weird and interesting and kept me curious. Yeah, I mean, I, I, was, I'm not, I wasn't a fan of them. I, don't, I didn't think they had much in the way of character when you compare it to the rest of the no. game. I, but I can't help but feel disappointed. You referenced Persona earlier, and you, you look at the sort of crazy cast of enemies that that game has, just mm. as they're sort of prowling around the dungeons, and many of them probably would have fitted into this similar sort of um, aesthetic that Gravity Rush has. So I kind of felt like they could have done a bit more yeah. with that maybe. Yeah. But hey, if it was a design decision to aid gameplay, then you know you can't fault them for that. Uh, I mean, there are, there are other enemies in the game who are um, humanoids and mm. their characters in the game and their direct antagonists, and they fit nicely into the world, I think, yeah. Um, yeah. almost entirely. So uh, I think it's just the fact that they seem to be malevolent and quite directionless, and they also don't have this kind of defined shape, which which 
gives you narratively not much to kind of latch onto them for. There's no reason to feel either uh, mm. angry towards them or or particularly um, empathise with them at all. I think directionless is quite a good ad- adjective to use for a for a lot of the the, the story elements of, uh, of this <laughs> person speaking anyway. But we'll get onto that. Um, one thing that definitely does I feel fit into the game uh, pretty darn well is is the sound. Um, the piece of music I always go back to when I think about Gravity Rush is the, there's this really bouncy jazz music that plays in uh, Plejeune, I believe. I presume all these pronunciations are French. Uh, Plejeune is one of the areas, the city regions, um, and it's it's the the city region that has all the nightlife, the bars, the clubs, um, the also more seedy side of, of town in there as well. And it's got this this perfectly fitting jazz soundtrack to it. But um, each city region around Heeksville or Heckersville, I don't know how that's pronounced. Apologies if I'm butchering that. Um, has its own background music when you're just in the open world, and then there's also separate music for each of the missions as well. It's actually surprising just how much music there is in this game. Um, how do you guys feel about the sound? The the scope of the soundtrack is always what's impressive. They're uh, they're fully orchestrated scores, and you can you know you could buy a download or uh, purchase the physical soundtrack, and it's. It's a huge sound, and that's so unusual to be hearing from a little handheld system. Which you know, yeah. the Vita has mm-hmm. good speakers, but you know, even you can tell those those you know better than average handheld speakers are kind of struggling to keep up with just how big the orchestral score is at times. Um, sounds great with headphones, uh, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's uh, it feels really grand, and it feels like it's uh, like it's bigger than the platform allows for almost. Um, Brian, yourself, any pieces of music stand out in particular? Uh, no, well, I'm going to, uh, there's two podcasts in a row where I said I've not really paid attention to the music, so don't invite <laughs> me on Sound of Play at any time soon. Uh, it's, a, it's a weird thing. It was, it's one of those things where, you know, I've, I've, I've got it plugged in. I, I played this mostly on my commute in the way in to work, same as I did with uh, Hotline Miami, which was the other one I listened to. And I don't know, I just kind of, a lot of the time, music sort of becomes background for me when I'm when I'm playing with this so I don't I don't recall it very well uh not to say it wasn't pleasant or enjoyable and there was certainly a uh, you you say bouncy jazz there was a bounce to it that kept you you playing and there was a uh it kind of the the thing I like most about this game and I'm sure we'll get onto gameplay soon was the you know just falling and then you know, writing yourself mm. and zooming through the sky, and there were you know there was something about the music fit that perfectly for me. Uh, so it yeah. didn't it didn't it, it didn't stand out, but that doesn't mean it was a, a bad score. It, it fit it fit the game wonderfully. I think it is one of those things that whilst nothing really apart from obviously one particular area that stood out to us, there's there's a, you you would notice it if it wasn't there. It would feel like there was something missing. Whether it's yeah, like a yeah. texture, almost that it's kind of it kind of works behind the scenes. It just adds something to it, but you never quite. It doesn't. It's not so kind of in your face that it's just you. You know that you're aware of it, so to speak. It's just you only notice if they removed it, and you'd be like, something doesn't feel yeah. right about this. You know, I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, absolutely. I like that word texture. I'm going to use that from now on when people ask me. <laughs> 
No, I, I sympathise, Brian. I'm, I'm usually in that position in, <laughs> in this case. It just happens that there's that one area where the music really did stand out to me. And so yeah. um, I, I tend to, like you, assume that if I don't notice the music, it's not necessarily because it's bad. It's just mm. it fit the game. And in this case, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. The, the music really goes well with the art and the style of the city and the style of the gameplay as well. So, yeah. Um, speaking of which... We've mentioned the story before. Um, there is quite a big story to this game. There's quite a lot going on. Um, and there's there's quite a lot that is deliberately left out. I'm going to come on to that later because there's some stuff that specifically uh, we know was, was left out intentionally, potentially for a sequel or potentially just because um, Tayamasa didn't want it put into, into the game and doesn't want it explicitly stated. Um, the hero's journey struck me. Kat wakes up. She doesn't know where she is. She seems to be lost. She doesn't know who she is. She's got amnesia, which, um, you know, the number of games particularly that, that use the amnesia story to try and excuse the fact that the player doesn't know the backstory of this character. So the, if the character doesn't know it, it makes it easier to step into their shoes. Um, but there is a distinct hero's journey to this. Cat wakes up, she doesn't know who she is. She then meets Dusty, this cat that gives her this ability. And as the story progresses, so her powers grow and her mastery of those powers grow. And she starts taking on bigger and bigger responsibilities. Um, particularly to me, there was a strong Spider-Man feel to this because of the type of power she has the traversal being a big, big aspect to it, mm -hmm. uh, but also because the city she's in feels like a real place, despite the fact that we we know, really, it's not her home. She takes to it, and there's um, notion that the city is responding to her in the same way that Spider-Man interacts with New York as, as his city. Um, and, and she, you know, Kat is saving uh, members of the public, bystanders. Uh, she's interacted with them through side missions. And you get a sense that the city is coming to terms with this this girl being in their midst with these powers and all this stuff going on. So that was something I came back to. And that's probably about the, the biggest praise I can give the story of, um, of Gravity Rush is that the characters they introduce are interesting. And they give enough of a, a story that you get this overarching message of the journey that Cat is going on. For me, the um, I, I, the Spider Man comparison, I think, is very is very apt. The uh, I do like the way the city does respond to her, and uh, what you know what initially starts as someone sort of just trying to figure out uh, who she is and what she's doing there, and it's kind of almost a bit of a, a, a you know you're just moving from point A to point B, following people who you think might hold clues to your identity it's nice to watch her as a character grow and become a bit more uh comfortable as this kind of superhero type figure and i thought that was that was really well done and i liked the uh the, the dynamic with the antagonist uh, raven or well, she's almost like a, a mirror image a darker the darker twin yeah. of cat and i liked i liked that dynamic and i i could kind of understand that and follow that but then when we started to meet the man that had the universe inside his coat uh that's <laughs> at that point i started to not really understand it anymore and <laughs> lost my way with it as much as i love the cutscenes like like you both mentioned earlier um i think i was playing the cutscenes just to mess around with the parallax scrolling rather than anything else yeah i just did not follow the story at all yeah i think the story has uh some pretty serious pacing problems 
it introduces mm. a lot of interesting ideas that doesn't necessarily uh it doesn't necessarily tie them all up at the end uh some things feel like they're kind of left dangling uh you know it, it felt like especially in the last act of the game like it was setting up for you know another two or three hours of gameplay that it cut off almost immediately after uh kind of introducing these big ideas but i i do like the the way that the gameplay interacts with the story and especially cat uh, coming to terms with her powers and um you know the the control of the gravity powers you always feel like you're in about 80 percent control and <laughs> that's it feels so much more genuine than pretty much any other superhero game like you feel like you're yeah. uh like you have you know mostly you're mostly in control but things can go awry at any moment you can find yourself disoriented and turned upside down and when you kind of lift off the ground with your gravity powers you pick up the people around you and end up unintentionally hurling them off in all sorts of other directions <laughs> and so you know you're you're hurting people around you but it's not because it's you're this malicious evil being it's because you're you're just trying to figure things out and you're just doing your best to come to terms with these strange new powers and so I don't know, I, I felt like I was really uh, just through the way that the game controlled in Cat's boots as well. Uh, you know, like we were experiencing yeah, the same you, thing no, together. I think that's, a, that's a fantastic point. Um, a lot of stories tell you, or in a lot of game stories, you are told that you, the protagonist has doubts or, or isn't sure or is injured or there's some reason given to you why their abilities may not be um, as good as they should be. They're inexperienced and they're supposed to in, in increase in experience as you go through the game. An obvious one is is the recent Tomb Raider reboot where you're told Lara is scared, she hasn't killed anyone, she hasn't done this, and then promptly you take control and start headshotting people. It's, it's a really common complaint with that sort of thing um, that introduces this disparity between player control and between what the character is supposed to be experiencing at that moment. Uh, We'll get onto gameplay in a bit, but I do like the fact that one of the problems people have with with Gravity Rush often is that it's difficult to feel in control of Cat and her powers. As it happens, whether by design or whether by uh, divine intervention, um, that fits perfectly. The fact that mm -hmm. the player doesn't feel in control with what Cat's supposed to be feeling, because all the way through this story, Cat is really, really out of control. She doesn't know who she is, so she she hasn't got a handle on that. She's trying to find that out, but she's also presented with all of these situations where she feels morally she has to step in and do something and try and help, um, which is a really simple motivation. It's a, a really basic superhero archetype that that her character is based on. Um, but I think that's portrayed with a with a a real genuine uh, tone and a real honesty to it that makes you buy Cat as that character. Mm. She feels like someone who's just been thrust into this position. So it doesn't matter if she's going off to this other world, this other universe, and fighting there and trying to save these lost children, and then coming back to Heeksville and trying to save you know a couple of school kids or whatever she's being sort of thrown around the world so the fact that she feels like she's never really in control of the situation um and the player also feels that really works quite well um another thing that struck me in particular um about one of the earliest characters we meet dusty a black cat obviously evokes 
particular images, witchcraft being the obvious one in that the witch is often seen with a, a black cat as a, as a companion or a familiar. And that's exactly what Dusty almost means to Cat. Dusty actually gives Cat the power, but equally well, Dusty is there as the companion. There is that symbiotic relationship that they have. And it also gives you the sense that there is more to Cat than meets the eye. The fact that Dusty came to and found this this one girl who shouldn't have been in the city at all uh, out of everyone else who's there. Um, Raven Brian, you mentioned, is is that that mirror image um the strong feeling i got was of of the relationship between bayonetta and jean in the um in the bayonetta games that that's not a unique relationship at all there are often times where there's this antagonist figure presented who is the mirror image of your, your protagonist um and in this case as is unsurprising, I think, from pretty much the beginning, we find out that Raven actually isn't Cat's enemy at all. They just had different objectives at that time and different uh, missions being given to them, if you like. Um, but there's definitely that kind of relationship there. And just like Bayonetta and John in, in the original Bayonetta game, um, there's more to that than a simple antagonist relationship. Hopefully I'm not spoiling that particular game too much. I don't think I am. Um, the other characters, the, the the other humanoid enemy characters, so Alias, who's a terrorist, and uh, Alessandro Danelica, I believe it is, who um, takes the mayorship and manipulates his way into the mayorship. They didn't strike me as particularly interesting characters in and of themselves, I would say, but what they did strike me as are characters that tell us more about the city, which is which is great, the fact that the characters, just by who they are and their existence, they give us information about the city and why we would want to help it and what's going on there, um, which is something that I think these characters in Gravity Rush do really well. They explain and present a world to us that is interesting and leaves us with other aspects we want to know about, find out about. It suggests a depth to the, the world and the lore behind the game. Um, even if the story itself doesn't necessarily uh, go as far to to fill in the rest of that, it's a trick. It's a tricky one because I actually got quite confused with it all. I find it's it's there's there's some interesting ideas to do with time going backwards and forwards yeah. and and the you know the the stuff about the two creators basically creating this world. So you know there's this thing of like. Are they just dreaming this? Is everything a dream? And, you know, is any of this yeah. real kind of thing? And there was all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, is I quite like sometimes when you get stories where they don't, they allow you to, um, you know, they allow your imagination to run riot with, you know, theories or, and, you know, all kinds of sort of supposition as to, as to what it all meant. And, Whilst that's all right, the problem is, is is it's a very fine line to do it well, and yeah. or just to make it confusing as hell. <laughs> and I think all yeah. too often it, it veered into that none of this is making any sense territory. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I quite liked Alias. I quite like his visual look with the sort of mask yeah, and his mm. kind of haunched over sort of character, sort of spindly limbed character and stuff. But 
it didn't really work because he suddenly he's gone and that was that. And I know he had this slight reappearance or whatever later, but it's, you know, and there's this whole thing that she actually knows who he is and, and it's like, well, yeah. what, 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 all the time. And it's just like, <laughs> <"That> what? <laughs> it's just, and then it did get to the point and uh, which obviously when we get to the gameplay stuff where there were, there was quite a few moments of utter frustration that was yeah. actually being had a detrimental effect on me paying attention to the story because it's like at this point I don't care I just want to get past it because it's driving me up the wall <laughs> but you know what can you do yeah no there's there's very definitely a sense of there being lots of threads uh, and one of the questions in the interview actually that that I put via via yourself mm. uh, Jay to uh, Kishiro Toyama was my assumption when there is a, an amnesiac protagonist is generally that the reason for that is more mechanical than narrative when it comes to a video game. As I mentioned, it puts the player and the character in the same position at the start of the game and it allows throughout the course of the game the the character and therefore the player to fill in that backstory and get to know who they were without having the, the player feel at any point um, at odds with their, their character. So that was that's always my assumption when I see an amnesia story. And so the question I put was how much of Kat's backstory had actually already been fleshed out by the, the writing team or, or writer, uh, Tayama-san himself, um, when they came to put this game together. Because there are lots of hints at who Kat is. Mm. There are hints she is referred to as Gravity Queen. Mm. That's not a term that necessarily she has just been given by the people of this city. That seems to have more weight to it. Yeah. And at the end of the game, um, Mayor Danelica is um, is defeated and sat in, in a hospital bed. And he's holding this red sphere that has an image of someone who looks very much like it could be Cat in very ostentatious garb. And it seems to be suggesting that he by harnessing the power of the Nevi, has in some way found out who she is. Um, like you said, I think it's Gabe, the the man with the universe in his jacket, um, which is a really funny visual joke, but it, it feels like there's more and more and more depth to who these characters are, mm. and then a lot of it left open, like Alias, we know from Kat's reaction, she knows who he is, but there's no... Um, and she can't believe that that is who he is because seemingly he should no longer be alive. Um, but then there, it's not paid off. I think, and probably I'm being generous or possibly too generous here, I think that is because some aspects of the story are supposed to be filled in in a potential sequel. There is this sense at the end that there is a, a promise being made by Project Siren that there is more to come from this story. Unfortunately, what that means is I, I absolutely agree, Jay, that there is this sense that there's an awful lot going on in the game. Some of it's confusing and therefore it's difficult to follow and therefore potentially difficult to, to really get invested in. And some of it feels like it's unfinished, potentially because it's a bigger story. But again, it doesn't feel like the narrative of Gravity Rush as a single entity um, it is is potentially as, mm. as well told and well wrapped up as it might be. It, it, I, I just wonder if there are reasons for that outside of the scope of this game. Um, it will be interesting to see, I've, I've got to say. But yeah, it, it did feel, I, I get what you mean, that, that hmm. sort of nagging sense of it being slightly unfulfilling or unsatisfying. 
And it, it was very ambitious. It introduced a lot of really big story elements, kind of like on the like Bioshock Infinite scale, where you would be meeting these like ghost-like people throughout the city who would tell you that they're somehow displaced in time and yeah. are mm. unable to like really physically manifest in one time and stay there. And uh, you would be at various points in the story moving throughout time and there's no explanation yeah. for as to where the time went. And I don't know, I, I felt like it introduced a lot of really big ideas that it didn't really follow through on. And, you know, it's kind of like if you're going to bring something up and it's kind of your responsibility to finish it, but, you know, maybe sequel, yeah. we'll see. It may seem wildly inappropriate to say this about a game but it's one of the few games where i thought they should really make an anime film based on this because it feels like <laughs> that's yeah it, it, it would work in that format and maybe if they could tighten up the story and make some sense of it <laughs> over a series yeah. or something but i actually do think that the, the world and the characters is really interesting and then that, mm. that may come across as dismissive towards the game itself it's not it, it, as such it, it doesn't mean to be it's just that I'd, all the time I, I was playing it I was kind of thinking you know there's enough here you could actually and I mean come yeah. on they've made worst anime, anime series you know oh, yeah. and, and, and I think there's you know I, I like the characters you know it's just you you feel it needed to be <coughs> fleshed out and, and properly yeah. sort of focused in what it was trying to do and what the actual story was but Maybe, maybe not. You know, maybe we'll, we'll, it'll open up into something quite special. But you know, that remains to be seen. But I actually thought yeah. it was at its best though when it was uh, focusing on some of the some of the side missions. There were some recurring unnamed characters in those. Um, hmm. Yeah, those almost parts. the yeah almost comic relief style characters that you would just drop into their life several times. Yeah. 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 And I thought that was I mean, there's one man, I think we had to yet to rescue his house or something like that, or his his yeah. son. Yes. Yeah. And then you took his house away or something. There was uh, they were amusing and sort of humorous and uh you, that's when I felt more of a connection to the world and what was going on. And that, that certainly mm. feeds back into your point earlier, James, about it having a Spider Man origins type uh, feel to yeah. it. And it, but it was yeah. you yeah, know, as in with all computer games and you know, as soon as they have to throw in a kind of a world ending threat and a you know a, a, a hero that needs to a, a solitary hero that has to save the day it all becomes a bit mm. overly grand and a bit uh, a bit confusing it can be that's a shame yeah in in reference to um to what you guys have just been talking about actually in terms of making it into either a film or a series jay um legend of Korra, i i got a strong um resonance between the character in the world in, in Gravity Rush and, mm. and the character of Korra in the world of, of Legend of Korra. And that's a, that's a series where each individual episode does have a lot going on that isn't answered, but you know because there are going to be future episodes, yeah. it's going to be resolved. Whereas Gravity Rush, it has that feeling of this whole city and this one girl trying to solve problems big and problems small. Uh, in it and this whole other say spirit world behind it like in legend of Korra, uh in this case it's the the that time travel aspect that mm. alternate reality where the lost children are and they're being attacked by nebby um there is this whole other thing going on um that they just don't it, it, it doesn't seem like the scope of the game allows them time or space to address fully. no uh, it, but, it yeah it's it's kind of it does feel that way like 
I don't necessarily have a problem when when it starts small and works up into this big epic yeah. storyline, as long as that progression feels legitimate, you yeah. know. But in this, it's like one minute I'm saving, um, I'm looking for orbs to fill a fountain. The next minute I'm finding the piece of the city that disappeared in this other dimension, and it's <laughs> yeah. like, <Yeah>. huh, what? <laughs> you know, and it's just, and it kept going like large, small, large, small, big thing. Yeah. You know, yeah. save this person, then just like, you know, just I, I don't know. It, it just felt a little, yeah, at odds with itself at times. <laughs> Equally so, uh, the gameplay was kind of poorly paced as well. Mm. Uh, as you went through the game, this, the challenges that you would face didn't necessarily get that much more interesting. Uh, yeah. You know, like right towards the end of the game, there was one particular mission where you have to set up sensors for some sort of uh, scientist who was studying the Nevi. And it was like right near the end of the game, but it was so uninteresting and so yeah. repetitive and so boring. It's like this should have been like one of the first things that you do to get used to your powers. This should not be at the near culmination of this game. As far as the gameplay goes, in order to level up Cat the character, um, one had to collect currency, the purple, the purple gems. And what that would mean is that even by the end of the game, you would suddenly think, well, if I'm going to level up my powers, the only way to do that is to stop playing the story part of the game and to start going around hunting for these uh, pink purple sort of magenta colored um gems and that i think that also gives this uneven feel mm. to the to the progression of the car- the progression of the gameplay mechanics because sometimes you would only be unlocking or upgrading sufficiently to make useful skills because you stopped playing the story it, it felt mm. it felt like you almost weren't getting enough rewards just for the story missions to be able to level up your character um, and it felt like that balance wasn't maybe quite there, and I think that feeds back into the story maybe as well. Yeah, I think you're right on that. The, the, although I did enjoy the orb hunting, but I think that's a, a hangover from Crackdown and how great that was. Uh, the the problem I had with it was you're right; they don't give you enough in the missions, but then they give you these whole series of uh, like challenges, races, yeah. and things, which were just I mean, we'll get onto controls, but just <laughs> not yeah. fun to do. No, but by the time I was at the end of the game and and. As, as much as the story, we've talked about things that could have been better about it. I still wanted to see the end of it. I wanted uh, to yeah, see Cat's yeah. story move on. Um, and I felt like I had to go and do these challenges, whether they be races or um, fetch quests or whatever they might mm. be, to do these challenges to get um, to get the, the gems, the currency, to be able to upgrade. And the other thing you would find is my first time, say, I, I managed to scrape a silver medal, but it would then take me another couple of tries to get the gold medal. And that's just me being forced to repeat a side mission that I already don't really want to have to do at that late point in the game in order to get the currency to be able to level up. So it's, yeah, there's definite problems there. I certainly never felt the compulsion to clear all the challenges at gold medal status or clear all the side missions necessarily. I've... It, I felt it would have been much better to be able to cherry pick. Now I feel like I want to do a side mission or whatever and not feel forced to do it in order to progress the character. Yeah. Um, so it's unfortunate that that didn't, didn't quite work perhaps as it, as it could have. Well, there was DLC for it, wasn't there? Was there any story extension in the DLC or was it just more challenges? Uh, three DLC packs. Each, each one had a couple of missions, but they were kind of self-contained missions. Right, okay. uh, the one I had was the military one. Um, and it was a couple of military missions where you were fighting alongside the military against the Nevi, um, and then you unlocked a, a outfit All right. at the end of it. 
pretty much. That was th- th- there were kind of stories to them, but they were complete side stories. They didn't <laughs> feed into the the main story as far. Well, certainly the one I played didn't. Yeah. Okay. Well, say uh, going back to the the orb hunting around the city. Yeah. That was actually the highlight of the game for me. Like I. <laughs> I viewed the story missions as almost like a distraction from my orb hunting. And, you know, maybe that was growing up with the Banjo-Kazooie Donkey Kong 64 type thing and just like loving hunting down collectibles. But I just had so much fun every time I got to fly around the city and, uh, you know, find all sorts of the nooks and crannies and just explore and try to find all these little orbs floating everywhere. And it's all just, uh, you know, very Mm -hmm. fast paced and... Uh, just zipping around from the rooftops and underneath the city and all these crevices. And, you know, anytime I would unlock a new part of the city or, uh, you know, I'd always be so excited or there was a point later in the game where, you know, just a year had passed in between missions and all of a sudden the city was repopulated with those purple collectibles and I was just in heaven like, oh, (laughs) this is wonderful. I get to do this all over again because it had this uh, kind of Tony Hawk's pro skater feel to it where I was using my powers to just, uh, you know, just spiral in and out of these buildings and fly around the city. And it was just so kinetic and fun and like that's what i really came to the game for so if if the game was all Mm. just flying around and collecting those orbs i would be (laughs) all for that yeah Yeah, i think i'm I'm inclined to agree with you on that (laughs) yeah the the, uh, just a quote from the the chris donnan review that that sort of hooked me into this game he Mm. says if you're drawn to games by the satisfaction offered by their simplest mechanics gravity days is a total delight you can spin between rooftops and freeze yourself in midair you can drop from the sky and never hit the ground and that was that was it that was what the game was for me but i don't think uh that that it it was happy with those simple mechanics just that you know freezing and dropping and falling and swooshing it had to add a ground slide and uh, various different sort of combat elements that just i thought bogged it down basically and just took away from the purity and the excitement of which never got old the excitement of going you know as high as you could and then letting yeah. go falling stopping <laughs> turning around you know even lining yeah. up just right so you could shoot yourself forward and uh, collect a big row of of those orbs that was just perfect <laughs> yeah. fun perfect fun but then when you then threw enemies in that you had to defeat in a certain time and it, it just it lost yeah. it for me it lost its its way maybe that was a hangover from it being a ps3 game originally where there was a requirement for more stuff mm. i i think the actual the the act the core idea with this, with the ability to sort of like having that sort of, and it's not even 360 degrees, is it? It's just that entire kind of 3D, the actual gravitational control, you know, where you can mm. change your yeah. gravitational axis. So you can run up on walls and you can then vault onto that wall over there that's completely, and that stuff was just, I mean, I, I was really, even though it's like two years after the game has been released, I was actually quite impressed when mm. I was playing it, thinking this is actually quite amazing yeah. how all this, like, that it actually works to the degree that it does. And it's actually really interesting. Yeah. But it's that sense that, like, when you fly, like you're saying, when you're sort of sending yourself between two buildings, but it's the sense of speed with it as well. They've got all those little speed lines that come up and the, that sense of the whoosh 
air as you're passing through it. And and her animation sort of does carry that kind of speed element as well. You know, you can feel like her limbs being pushed back through the air and stuff. And, yeah, that stuff never got old at all. But then they, no, add, yeah. But like the Brian yeah. said, then they added enemies. <laughs> it was just, oh yeah. The animation feedback was really good. I love mm. it's one of the smallest touches in the game. But I love how hard she hits the ground, and it just looks mm. so painful every time. It's like, yeah. uh, but um, but then she just pops nice up and, and right, yeah, just pops up into stance and ready to walk. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things that's really helpful actually is. Um, her hair and her scarf mm. always yeah. when you're standing on a building they always face the like the Point real ground gravity, yeah. and yeah. so you can tell like which way is up and which way is down because yeah. you know especially when you're under the city that can be really hard to keep track of sometimes yeah. oh yeah. yeah and so uh yeah. yeah her hair and scarf and all that kind of flapping in the wind it's like that actually looks really well animated for a handheld game especially mm. yeah 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 definitely no i've got to say uh, I agree. The, the the biggest joy I had in the game, um, all through the length of it, was was just that moment where you you jump and then hit the the right shoulder button, and mm. you just <laughs> notice the animation of her going into that kind of stasis, and then it's just a mo- a case of you know tilt or or use the stick to to find your your location. Um, I, personally, I did actually enjoy it when I was fighting enemies as well, but not from the narrative sense but more Mm. from there are times and some of the challenges did this as well where you've got a group of enemies and it's gravity kick into one bounce off gravity kick into the next bounce off and you get that rhythm and you really do start to feel like um you're sharing in the fun that that cat is kind of having even in that Mm. perilous situation with with that ability and that as as singular an ability as it really is at the beginning, and Brian, you're spot on. It gets embellished afterwards, but the the actual just gravity ability and the mm-hmm. kick that that gives you uh, with with falling and, and kicking into an enemy um, is really really satisfying. Yeah. Um, when I say that towards the end, I didn't want to have to do the challenges and and go and collect orbs. It's it's not that I didn't enjoy the, the, the mechanics of it. It's just that I didn't want to feel like I had to do those things in order to level up the character to be able to complete the next story mission um, was, was all I meant in that, um, just to clarify. But, and to qualify yeah, so my th- point on, co- on combat, actually, because you r- mm. reminded me of that, there is, there is a rhythm to it and there is a, 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 a thrill to, to doing the gravity kicks yeah. and bouncing from one enemy to the other. So I think maybe then what the issue with the combat is that it was very easy to mess up. It was very easy to shoot past mm. an enemy shoot and past. break yeah. that mm. rhythm. And the, yeah. the, it didn't give you the ability to bounce back or to come up with a, a quick response to that yeah. uh, in a way that would make you feel like you're adapting to the situation. You just then have to spend the next you know couple of seconds mm. fumbling around trying to realign yeah. yourself. And it just... I wonder if a quick turn ability might have worked or something like that, you know? Maybe. When you do shoot past something just immediately to... Because it, it sometimes took me a while to actually pause, re, re, sort of orient yeah. myself, and then shoot back in the right direction. Whereas if I had an immediate quick turn, I could have quick turned, then pause, and then you've got much less alignment to do. Yeah. Because um, inevitably when you've shot past something, you're almost exactly 180 degrees off target, um, which, yeah, does make it frustrating. Specifically where combat was concerned, the problem I had was... The ground enemies were straightforward. I never had any problem with them because mm. maybe it's because they're on that 
single gravitational plane you know they're, they're on the ground yeah, that's yeah. it but that, i never had any problems with those it was always the ones that are moving around in the air yeah it, yeah you know the first time and and this is where real frustration set in with the game um and it was the first time obviously the first major fight that it really started to sort of grind my teeth with was the first time you fight raven you know or the first your confrontation with raven when you um when you go to rescue part of the city and she is actually that sort of that section's boss fight if you will but it was like i couldn't keep up with it now I was trying to work out what what it was that was the real mm. issue, which is I noticed quite early on that the camera, when because your your right stick was controlling the camera and it seemed too fast, so I yeah. went in and reduced the sensitivity. As I've I've had to do this before with PlayStation Three games because of the way yeah. that the sticks felt, there were lesser resistance, say, to the Xbox Three Sixty. So I sure, would yeah. I would decrease the sensitivity because I find they would turn too fast all the time compared to what I was used to. Now, with the Vita's control, because these things have such a low level to them, and they're so kind of, they're small, basically, and, and you, yeah, you, yeah. you can easily, like, because the sensitivity by default is quite, I'm not sure if it's beyond 50%, but it's, it seemed really fast. And I kept yeah. just panning the camera so quick that I would just go past stuff and have to then rein it back in, so I figured that I need to slow that down, so... I did that, but that yeah. then made it too slow in combat. So all the time you had this thing where she would pause. So that's where I would try to get the lock on, which with the lock on, you know that they've tried to compensate for the fact that it's on a handheld. So you've got that thing where you have a sensor reticule. Now, as long as you're yeah. within a certain area on the enemy, you can yeah. see that wider circle appear. And, and then if you do like the spiral kick, it locks on and you will home in on the put. But all too too many times I would be homing in on them and they would just move and then you would go right past them and <laughs> yeah. and you've got to start again. And, and and I found several times I had to go back in and move up the sensitivity so I could respond quicker to mm. this. And yeah, I just found it generally really frustrating. You don't normally have to go in and keep altering the the, the options. To I don't know if I, I was alone in this or whether it was just me, but this is where I started to get really frustrated with aerial combat and aerial enemies. Mm. Um, those mosquito type ones later, yeah. uh, you know, particularly in the area um, the Mirage, where it's like the third piece of the city, and you just ah. Oh, like I'm surprised I haven't been, my gums aren't bleeding with how much I was gritting my teeth through that, that section at certain yeah. points because it's just like what the hell but yeah <laughs> no that's certainly true some of the aerial enemies uh, or some of the bigger enemies even if they were on the ground but they could turn mm. um, some of the smaller enemies would move out of your way and that'd be frustrating but um, particularly the final battle with the an enemy um it, it's a sphere, and what mm. would happen is you'd lock onto it, but it would turn at the last second, and it would just turn out of your, you know, completely out of your uh, view, which would mean it would mm. now be the other side of the enemy from you, yeah. which would mean you'd have to shoot past it, stop, turn around, um, potentially almost like three-point turn, but it's a seven-point turn to get yeah. around to the other side of the enemy to be able to see the target point you had to hit. There were, there were times where I thought it may have been better implemented if you could touch screen the lock on you know that if it yeah. wasn't a thumbstick because it was I, I, my 
my personal take was that the problems were related to the hardware in terms of the stick and the manipulation yeah. of the reticule. So I thought, like, you know, you've got you've got like the finishers where you can touch the screen mm. and do it. And part of me felt maybe the combat should have been better if it, you'd had the ability to sort of have that direct input on screen with it where you could like slash things so to speak stuff that we've seen before on games yeah. you know so you kind of it would feel far more i don't know if if it depends entirely on how it's implemented but it, yeah. it may feel a little more intuitive and a little easier to control if it wasn't for the sticks you know if we could somehow get get around them and because you've got the touch screen both front and back with that a part of me felt that that was underutilized to some degree Talking about the controls, uh, especially the ones that were driving the side missions that we'd mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. uh, there were a lot of slide racers, which involved a gravity slide technique, which uh, was kind of a high-speed ground transportation mm -hmm. that kind of locks you in a direction that you uh, just slide at the high speed, kind of like Vanquish style. Yeah. Um, yeah. But to activate it, you had to... Uh, put two fingers on the touchscreen, which I don't know where yeah. those fingers are supposed to come from because <laughs> yeah. I have my thumbs on the thumb sticks and all yeah. my fingers are on the back. And, you know, you have a yeah. back touchpad. Like, why can't I use that? Or why can't you lock it to a yeah. button or something? Because I do not have two extra fingers to. Yeah. And so doing those missions in particular, I had my hands in some really weird and precarious places. <laughs> yeah. Whoever thought that touchscreen tilt controls for a high speed uh, chase. <laughs> Or race section uh, was a good idea. Probably needs to stop having ideas. I think it was just. I mean, I, I've my son's just got into playing Mario Kart on the Wii, and sort of struggling with the 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 Wii Mote controls on that rather than the nunchuck. It's just it's it's not fun, and it was it reminded me a lot of going through Gravity Rush actually. Yeah, um, f for anyone who who hasn't played or hasn't seen any gameplay of Gra Gravity Rush and is currently trying to piece together, um, it's all third person action. You see Cat on the screen. Um, her traversal methods, manipulating gravity. Basically, what that means is anywhere the the big there's a fairly large reticle on the screen. Any surface that's pointed at, Cat can change her gravitational field that she is uh, influenced by to be pulling down on the surface you're pointing at. So you can jump in the air, point at the side of a building, uh, press a button, and that side of the building becomes her down, if you like. That's where gravity is going to pull her to. Um, and what it means is that the traversal and combat are basically completely tied because your, your combat, certainly initially and, and actually pretty much all the way through the game if you want to, you can just use exactly the same technique which is you aim yourself at an enemy and you just shoot towards it by changing gravity to be their weak spot um and it does have we've, we've already talked about the fact that it's it's more following with style than flying um although the difference in that is is really a, a philosophical question more than a, a a mechanical one um obviously cat has the ability basically to fly uh but it does it does try to potentially because it was a Vita launch game use a lot of the different features of the Vita. So um, we've talked about the fact you can tilt to see sort of slightly more on the cutscenes, but you can also tilt to navigate Cat in in when she's falling uh, slightly. It's not terribly effective by any stretch, um, and and you can also 
tilt to move the reticle when you're you're selecting a target to to shoot at. Yeah, um, I actually turned that all that. I actually turned all that off <laughs> at the earliest yeah, opportunity, yeah. Um, just because I. Yeah, similar to the uh, the complaints we we mentioned when we did the Terraway podcast, which is that you just naturally tilt the like I'm sliding all over the sofa when I'm playing yeah. this, so the thing's yeah, yeah. not yeah. at a level angle, so it's all over the place, and it's just the usual problems with sort of gyroscopically controlled consoles. <laughs> yeah. I use the gyroscope quite a bit for uh, fine-tuning my aiming during combat. Uh, And so sometimes during the more intense combat situations, I would be throwing the Vita all over the place to try to line everything up. Yeah, it's it's the difficulty with a gyroscope of of setting the sensitivity so that any small natural movements, any background movements, if you like, aren't red, but intentional movements are. I had a big problem when I played... uh, Uncharted Golden Abyss. I only ever played the demo um, because the sniping aim, uh, I, I just couldn't get my head around. And certainly I can see here, Jay, why you would say exactly the same thing. If, if you're holding you know, a, a console, it means naturally that console is moving and it means mm-hmm. that you've got to be very careful about how sensitive that's set. And uh, yeah, it's it's a tricky balance to get. I, I, like you, Ryan, did use it to, to kind of fine tune if I was just slightly off target when it came to to shooting towards an enemy um the other skills and abilities i mean gravity kick was the one that i pretty much used gravity strike is the one where you can press on the screen to target um a particular particular location um you can also create sort of localized gravity fields where you can lift and and eventually kind of throw um objects or or people um one thing that during the during interviews where he's talked about the game, uh, Toyama-san talked about was that Crackdown was actually an influence. He's, he's named Crackdown as an influence um, specifically because of the way that traversal is such a big part of that game. Um, and Brian, you mentioned orb hunting. Absolutely. Uh, and, and again, um, the Gravity Rush was designed similarly to Crackdown to allow that traversal to gain the player these gems or orbs that increase their power which makes traversal and therefore combat even more effective so there is a very it's the same as any um you know leveling up system in a game but the idea was to have cat become more powerful by using the skills and therefore get more skills and in turn become more and more powerful as the game went on to that extent i i think probably that that's successful in the game, but I think we've said that there's an impact on pacing for um, story and and for character progression that maybe doesn't quite work as as intended. Um, talking of in, engaging with uh, enemies, there are several boss fights in the game, and they're actually when I first started thinking back about playing this game, obviously two and a half years ago. My feeling was the boss fights were all the same. Large, black, gooey object, point at the weak spot and hit it. But actually, thinking about it, there are several humanoid enemies who aren't nevy and you don't necessarily fight them in quite the same way. Um, And I think there is just about enough variety, whether it be um, having to wait for something else to happen to weaken the enemy or wait for armor to be taken off it uh, so that you can get at the weak spots. It just about keeps it... Um, varied enough in terms of what the aim is, I think 
Jay, as you've said, whether or not the combat and the, particularly the aiming of, of those mechanics is up to scratch in order to make those boss fights as fun as they are obviously designed to be is another matter. Um, are there any particular boss fights that stood out for you guys as being uh, particularly good, particularly bad, just notable for any particular reason? Uh, I say that the uh, Nushi, the uh, um, character who was patrolling the city of Lost Children, it was kind of like a big flying snake, something like that. Um, yeah, I, I had trouble with any boss that fired projectiles at me because it's just very difficult to dodge those in the air. And it kind of felt yeah, like it took too long to It took too long to get out of the way of those types of things. Um, so I, I had some trouble with that, and the fact that you had to fight it maybe like three times, uh, and it was pretty yeah. much just doing the same thing every time it would take mm. multiple hits. I was kind of not such a fan of that one. Uh, yeah, in particular, that that really did that that hurts me actually because you've got this entire and the life bar takes up the entire bottom of the screen. Yeah, and the first time you take that all the way to the end, and then you think, okay, that's and and up until that point, every kind of every boss fight was the same, which you get rid of their life bar. That's it. With this, it's then then you've got this kind of cutscene, and then he's back again with an entirely fresh life bar, yeah. and it's like, surely yeah. you could have like yeah. that. I found that in like I was actually quite annoyed with that. Really, I was like, yeah. you're kidding me. I've got to do it again. Because it was just like, surely yeah. you could have just taken it down to like halfway, had the cutscene, and that way I knew I've still got to take this thing yeah. on. But this, yeah. even, I felt really kind of annoyed by or, it. Or pop three life bars up on the screen. At least yeah, some kind of visual thing that gives you the tells yeah. you that, that you get, you know, the fight isn't over. But when you mm-hmm. see this entire thing go down, yeah. and then oh, here's another one, <laughs> and it's just yeah. like, yeah. okay, now I'm annoyed. <laughs> but yeah, you know. yeah. No, and and several of the bosses do that as well. Yeah. The final boss does that. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it just it feels like you're not being given all the information. And okay, there's mm-hmm. a point of that. Maybe Cat thought she'd defeated it. You know, you can kind of protect. You know, imagine that that's intentional, but it's not. It, it's not a satisfying way to to have a boss fight. Not when you get into function. the point of being like, oh. <laughs> with the yeah, guy. yeah, exactly. And then yeah. it's like, I'll go do it again. And then it's like, yeah, I'll tell you what, I'm just gonna swipe the screen and pause it for a few hours while I go and make a cup of tea and calm down. Calm down, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah just, probably yeah. not the best, the best mechanic to have in the game. <laughs> How about you, Brian? Any boss fights in particular stand out? No, uh, the well, they stand out for being unenjoyable, and they, uh, they tended yeah. to. Uh, occur right at the point I was just about to uh, switch off for my commute so I knew I'd have to try and pick it up again later on the way home the, the I think for me you know, I've talked about combat and not really enjoying it uh, and then any situation where the combat is the weakest part of the game being thrown yeah. into a situation where the combat is all you've got to go on is sure. is never going to is never going to work so I mean they weren't they weren't impossible they weren't uh, that, that big a challenge they weren't you know uh, was it is it Meta Ridley or Mega Ridley at the end of uh, Metroid Prime, which took me about a year to complete? <laughs> um, it, but they were enough that they just kind of you, you you wish them away. You wish you were done with them quickly. I I don't know if anybody else had this problem with it, but I found that it was the lack of health gems that were my biggest grievance. Yeah, quite you know from very early on in the game, it was like. 
you've got the those gems that uh, recharge your energy, and they respawn really quick. Like you, you literally, if you stand in one spot, they just keep pumping into you, and you're like, okay, I yeah, can yeah. just literally yeah. stay here all day with this because it's like you know I'm never going to deplete. But the health bar, the health gems never seemed to respawn, and it was like. And I, I, like I said before, I don't play games on hard. If I've got an easy setting, that is the one I will always play. And I felt yeah. really that, you know, and again, with the Raven fight was the first time it became glaringly obvious when I was getting, you know, she was kicking the hell out of the character. And I was like, I've got nothing to revive. And I was ended up spending far too much time trying to find the green gems. Yeah. And that meant mm-hmm. just, to, just sort of circumnavigating the area just to look for these things. Yeah. And they didn't necessarily fill up my bar, you know, they'd give you a chunk of life, but it's like, the, the, I'm not supposed to, I'm supposed to be fighting her, but at the time I'm trying to, and yeah, I understand yeah. there's a balance to be struck, but I thought, could you not have made these things respawn, just maybe slow down their respawns so it didn't become too easy that I could literally just stay in one spot and constantly get fresh health, but at least have them revive, re, you know, replenish at some point because once they were gone, they never. Yeah. I, I mean, if they did, I never saw them respawn, and and it was no. just like this is that's crazy. There just wasn't enough of them. Yeah, um, yeah. I think that they either needed to be uh, greater in number, mm. uh, and therefore more handy, or respawn, or or just take them out altogether. And yeah, no, have like, yeah. either a, a replenishing health bar mm. or something like that. Yeah, they um, could have attached yeah. that to Dusty in some way that he could, you know, you could press left on the d-pad and he would then yeah. do something that would revive your health but you needed to be safe yeah you know to do it, it and yeah yeah it, it's interesting that because obviously the the gravity manipulation was such a key part of the game that replenished really quickly once you hit the ground mm. you know once you were out of um, your energy meter it didn't take long but i mean you didn't really need any blue gems around you could just mm. kind of hit a surface Oh yeah, it'd be yeah. less than two seconds, and you'd be full and charged again. And obvious, and there were even moments where that was frustrating, where you'd just missed a, a boss, um, and suddenly your health ran, your energy rather ran out, yeah. and and that was frustrating. But you knew that as as soon as you hit the ground, you'd be back up and running. Mm. Whereas with health, I felt like I needed to scout the areas sometimes around a boss fight. If I'd failed first time, say, I'd scout the area and make sure I knew where all my. Mm. Um, health that was accessible was but it did feel like halfway through a boss fight you had to just run away and just start looking mm. upstairs downstairs and everywhere to try and see if you could find some health and that was a little that was a lot unfortunate and given I, it would have been yeah. so easy to correct on the more difficult boss fights i found that i had to i had to first know where they all were yeah and and that required like maybe one of you know several attempts first where i would die because yeah. i if i was using them too soon they would, they would, you know, knowing that they would be gone yeah. and that would be it. So I had to kind of pace that stuff. So it was a case of, yeah. yeah, trying to sort of hold back as, as, until I absolutely needed them. And it, and it just added an extra layer of sort of frustration to the whole combat scene that you, yeah. you, 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 it didn't feel like that's what I should be focusing on. I should be focusing on attacking them and, and evading their attacks. But in the same time, I'm, I'm distracted because I've got to look for these things because without them, I can't, get past this boss yeah <laughs> you know and yeah. it was just like mm, okay well we've got a bit of a problem here but yeah yeah as i've mentioned before i certainly found the humanoid the, the human character uh 
antagonists and therefore bosses just inherently more interesting because they would often have a dialogue with Cap before the fight started, which just meant you understood the reason for the fight more. So I definitely felt more um, about that. Which I suppose also meant that the boss fights against Nevi where Raven or, say, Unica or one of the other humans was assisting Cat, again, those were more interesting than straight-up Nevi boss fights because there was a dialogue being had hmm. that gave some context for the fight, I've got to say. But, um, yeah, I, I can't disagree with anything you guys have said. I think the, the boss fights, for, for a set of mechanics that were so enjoyable there should have been something more satisfying that could have been presented as a boss fight. And it's unfortunate that maybe didn't happen um, as often or at all for some of us as, as it should have. Uh, I alluded earlier to the fact that on the surface, this seemed like a game that was made specifically for the PlayStation Vita release. But I think Brian, you mentioned this was going to be a PS3 game at one point. This is actually a game that Toyama-san had in mind for about 10 years, he said, in, in various interviews, before it actually got made. So we're talking sort of 2002, not long after um, after he'd moved over to, uh, you know, head up Project Siren or around that sort of time. Um, so we're talking about, you know, 10 years of this idea, this character, this world, building and building to the point where... Um, Project Siren were given the opportunity to to make this game for PlayStation Vita, um, which I, I, I wasn't necessarily surprised by because I think there's an awful lot of depth, clearly, um, and a lot of thought gone into some aspects of the game that, that give you the impression of something that has a lot more to it and therefore probably has kind of been on the drawing board for a while. Um, but another thing he, he mentioned was that some of the multicultural inferences that, um, that that we've talked about in terms of the the art style, in terms of uh, it being quite a a Western superhero style uh, and protagonist that you're dealing with, um, a lot of that was to try and give an international appeal to a game that ostensibly is a fairly niche sort of game. It, it's a game in which. Seems odd to say you're playing a, a young female uh, protagonist who can bend gravity, which means there is um, there's a certain amount of getting your head around the mechanics, and and therefore that immediately makes it a more niche title for a niche audience. But it obviously was designed to try and widen the uh, the appeal of it by um, by its setting. You know, we've we've all mentioned the the box art and the promotional art for it immediately grabs your attention. It has um, a, an immediately striking look to it. You know, be it the art style or be it as Brian you said, it was particularly about what that suggested about the mechanics. Um, and and I think to a relatively great degree that worked when it came to um, the buzz about the game beforehand. The reviews you mentioned, Christian Donlan's review. Um, w- was particularly interesting to you, Brian. I-, I noticed when I was looking through some reviews today, I hadn't actually read any up until now, it seems like the European and Japanese reviews were generally, and I, I don't want to start calling out publications, but uh, equally well, that just makes this anecdotal, but they were generally higher than US reviews. I don't know if that's because of the... Um, 
because of the Sony influence, you know, Sony being big in Europe and Japan. But it did seem like it was more positively received um, in Europe and Japan than the US. I'm not sure. I, I couldn't think of any particular reason for that. I, I don't think. I'm not sure if you guys have any opinions on that. It's just something that happened to, uh, to spot today. Love of jazz? <laughs> Love of jazz. <laughs> I have yeah, no I mean, idea. To, to, to no. be fair, there is something about that. It is a Japanese game. Um, and to my mind, at least, ha- has a lot of European influences. So maybe it's as simple as that. Um, I yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I mean, maybe that some of that ties into the console sort yeah, of itself. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, you know, yeah. the general sort of Sony being bigger in Japan and Europe. Yeah, and maybe yeah. there's a certain apathy towards the PS Vita, and I, even to this day, and it has at this stage in its lifespan got some amazing titles, and and yeah. and still is. And there's some interesting features with the actual primary consoles, if you will, with PS3 and especially with the PS4. And it's just, yeah. yeah, And it still feels like it's still, it's still struggling to get people interested in it. And it it feels a bit of a shame in many ways, because I I think, you know, whatever the reason for that, you know, whether it's marketing or whatever, it, it feels that maybe that impacts reviews on, even if the game is amazing, the fact that it's on the Vita is perhaps a problem, but for yeah. some, yeah. and uh, I've, um, I really wouldn't know. Yeah, well, it it almost certainly was a problem for sales, which we'll come on to mm. in a second. But um, in in terms of awards, I, I remember Gravity Rush being mentioned uh, certainly in sort of nomination categories for handheld awards um, and and it was nominated for best handheld game at the Spike Video Game Awards of 2012 if you care remotely about those um, but it did also get uh, Game of the Year although I suppose it's Game of the Show at Tokyo Game Show 2012 um, that would have been about six months after its release so um, mm. so I guess Game of the Year is probably fitting um, which is I'm not sure if that was a handheld category but it just said Game of the Year on what I was reading um, that said sales were according to video game charts again Leon's mentioned in the past we're not sure how reliable these are but getting sales figures on games can be difficult at best unless their publisher released um, and, and announced via press release um, that lists about 460,000 copies sold worldwide, which mm. sounds very low to me, but I suppose taking into account what, exactly what you've just said, Jay, which is the Vita, we know, has struggled to be certainly perceived as a successful console and therefore has struggled to sell in large numbers. Um, but, um, I mean, the, the, there's, always a, there's always a difficulty with, with handheld titles because, like, the Vita, they have a smaller team working on them. Yeah, they're they're not as expensive. To, even if you were to sort of put, I mean, I assume this, but it, you know, I know Toyama Sani himself has said that he likes working for the Vita because it's a smaller team and you can He just feels that you, yeah. you're in control more with that stuff. It just feels like there's less red tape because those smaller groups making those games and, and less expectations as well, which gives yeah. you more freedom. Yeah. Because it's smaller, because it's cheaper to produce, you know, is that a, is that what's a, what defines the success, success in terms of numbers yeah. for these for these handheld yeah, consoles? Absolutely. It's easy to think anything less than a million sales is a failure, but yeah, um, and and equally well, this conversation was had on the Tearaway Show. I know mm. um, sales for that were reported and and almost universally thought to be disappointing. Mm. Um, 
the same could be said for for Little Big Planet related to that, not necessarily Vita related, but nonetheless, Sony have continued to support Little Big Planet. So obviously, Sony see that there is something of value in these, even if it's from an artistic merit. Uh, merit. But I think you're right, Jay. I think um, the fact is that this is a much cheaper game to produce, even with the uh, production values that Gravity Rush has. That mm. I, I think you know we've talked about score, we've talked about artwork are fantastic and beyond what I could have expected from the Vita. Nonetheless, it's still cheaper to produce this game than it would be anything else. And um, yeah, 460,000 on the surface sounds, you know, low compared to, uh, yeah, as you say, your mm. Call of Duties, but um, but that's half a million people played this game, uh, plus however many then picked it up on PlayStation Plus mm. and potentially were, were drawn to it and potentially bought a Vita because of PlayStation Plus as well. And let's not underestimate the power that having games like Gravity Rush available to put onto PlayStation Plus has for the overall effect on the, the system. So I think it's interesting that the PlayStation Plus side of things actually is probably, I'd have thought it at least doubled those figures of number of people playing it. Yeah, um, just in terms of the number of people that, that downloaded it in, yeah. in anticipation and therefore yeah. switched it on whenever they got a Vita and, and fired that up. Yeah, and I don't absolutely. think I don't know, I I don't think Sony would look at that necessarily. It's one of those games where I, I feel that Sony wouldn't look at sales figures as low as they might be and use that as a basis to rule out sort of a future game because no. <clears throat> it's for for me when Gravity. Rush came out alongside Uncharted and you know other sort of big games. This was when they were pitching the Vita as a portable PlayStation, essentially, weren't they? As a handheld yeah, yeah. PS2, or you know, halfway between PS2, PS3. And you know, since then they've not they've kind of shied away from big games, sort of real yeah. uh, sort of tentpole games to put on the system. They've had a lot of excellent indie games, but it uh, it strikes me that if they do push ahead. Uh, with with a sequel to something like this or another Uncharted, it's kind of they'll use that to send a signal to say that, you know the Vita's more than just a you know a, a, an indie yeah. an indie yeah, game yeah. showcase. Yeah, I, I think it's the nature of games as well these days. It's it, you've got to it gets rare to my mind. It's getting rarer and rarer to have this the the new IP hit the ground running with phenomenal sales. Yeah. And quite often it's the second or maybe, you know, the second game yeah. is the one that gets people's attention and really gains yeah. the critical praise. And and maybe, in, you know, in, also the sales. But, you know, Uncharted is an interesting one with that because the first game was generally re- well received. It wasn't until the sequel that re- people really started to well, sit and take notice. So, yeah. you know... You know, it's it's nice that sort of Sony may have faith in studios beyond, and I mean they've got the inside track with that stuff as well. They 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 you know they're they're the guys speaking to the the creators, so they kind of know where they're going to take things in a way yeah. that we don't get that insight. We don't we don't have that foresight into what they're going to do with this. So it's like you know, we just take everything kind of at face value until we know more as each game comes out. So you know, it's yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. No, and it's uh, one of the things that always disappoints me when a, a game gets a you know it, a company takes a chance on a game, new IP, mm. puts it out there, and it doesn't get the sales they want, and it doesn't get a sequel because we've seen time and time again that you're absolutely right, Jay. The second game is able to build on what the first did, and it's mm. that building on that means it's often more successful. 
Um, speaking of which, at Tokyo Game Show 2013, so uh, um, a little over a year ago, there was a teaser trailer put out um, from, I believe they're referred to as Team Gravity, uh, which perhaps suggests that Project Siren Team has, has been renamed uh, to suit the game that they're now working on. Um, the anticipation then, certainly, was that there was going to be a Gravity Rush sequel. Um, nothing official announced as of yet, but let's certainly uh, hope so, because despite any reticence I might have about you know weaker aspects of the game and everything, I would certainly um, be interested to see where a sequel might go. There's certainly narrative scope for it, and I think just the chance to to play around with gravity a bit more in potentially slightly more refined and, and um, slightly different ways would, would appeal to me greatly, I've got to say. Okay, that kind of rounds up the uh, the long-form version of our thoughts on the game. We'll get to our summaries in a bit, but we have had some feedback from the community uh, on our forums, which you can find at canonrince.com forward slash forum. You can also feel free to email us at podcast at canonrince.com if you would like to let us know your thoughts on any of our upcoming games. We will do our best to get as many voices in as we can. Jay, would you like to kick us off with Alex79UK's feedback? Sure. Uh, Gravity Rush was the first game I played on the Vita when I picked it up a couple of years ago. It did, and still does, look gorgeous on that OLED screen. A real showcase for the Vita's power. I found the game itself to be a little more than a technical demo, however, and soon became slightly bored of the repetitive gameplay and the endless identikit side quests. The combat wasn't really a highlight either, and I found it often quite awkward to navigate the three-dimensional world whilst kicking baddies' arses. It was so easy to become disorientated that half my time was spent trying to find the right way up. The game had loads of nice touches. I enjoyed being able to tilt the Vita to affect the view during cutscenes, almost like being able to peep into a cardboard cut diorama. The controls worked well too. The frustration I had came from navigating the environments rather than the controls themselves. Sometimes when playing games that have become a bit of a chore, the story is enough to see me through, but sadly this wasn't the case with Gravity Rush. I may return to finish the game off at some point, but it just didn't hold my attention long enough to keep in on my rather small memory card, and I soon deleted it to make way for more enjoyable games. Thank you, Alex. Uh, eerily reminiscent of uh, of our thoughts, I think, uh, t- to some great degree there. Uh, Ryan, next one. This comes from Chase210. It would be one of my favorite games on the Vita, if not for those awful controls. They're so terrible, they almost ruined the game for me. Her controls as vague and imprecise as that, to give the player objectives which require pinpoint accuracy is ridiculous and makes the whole thing incredibly frustrating. But it looks nice. I like the story and the graphical style, and the upcoming sequel will hopefully be better as long as it doesn't get Last Guardianized. Uh, Brian. Sinclair Gregstrom says, Gravity Rush is one of those flawed gems that you'll either fall in love with or back away from quick smart, and it's definitely the former for me. Beautiful visuals, wonderful sound design and music, and a charming tone of voice are among its best qualities. All housed in a world that I found by turns intriguingly ethereal and quietly threatening. These elements are also all brought to life with a story that I found genuinely interesting and characters that I enjoyed spending time with. 
things I find all too rare in video games these days. Then there are the gameplay mechanics. Ah, uh, the mechanics. I completely understand why some people don't get on with the gameplay of Gravity Rush. While perhaps not unique in the history of gaming, it certainly offers a freedom of movement and perspective that is unusual and unnatural to many people. And when you marry, marry that atypical playing field with controls that can be occasionally cumbersome and imprecise, frustration can creep in. Personally, the more I played the game, the more adept I got at manoeuvring Cat around the world and utilising her evolving skills, and the game did a great job of making me feel like a powerful and agile being, able to soar around the world with an uplifting sense of freedom and speed. Yes, the mission design is basic and repetitive. Yes, there are moments, particularly in tighter spaces, when trying to get Cat to do what you want feels like reversing an articulated lorry without mirrors. But if the controls and freedom of movement click with you as they did with me, there's an imaginative and captivating world to discover in Gravity Rush that really drew this gamer in. I loved it. Excellent. Our final piece of feedback from the forums is from Tadinio, who says... Gravity Rush is one of those games that isn't amazing by any standards, but is unique enough to make up for that and make me love it. The gravity mechanic made the game for me. It felt fresh and liberating in a way no open world game I played ever did. Normally the problem with these types of games is getting around the world can be both frustrating and boring, but Gravity Rush sidesteps that by saying, so you want to get somewhere? You can just fall there, no problem. This makes collecting the purple currency in the world really addicting to the point I could spend hours just flying around looking for more orbs to collect. That unfortunately tells you that the other components of the game aren't super great. While the main missions are fine, the side quests are really boring and repetitive, making me avoid them unless I really needed an, upg an upgrade. The combat isn't much better. I don't know if I was playing the game wrong, but most times it all boiled down to spamming gravity kick over and over until everything was dead. The boss fights and especially the rival fights with the other two girls help make things more interesting, but they're far too few and far between. Story-wise, the game doesn't fare much better. Both the story and characters end up being really forgettable to the point I can barely remember any of it, but I think it was really similar to most magical girl anime stories which aren't my cup of tea to say the least. On the other hand, I can remember perfectly the world the game takes place in. After all, not every game is set in a city just above a black hole. It's a great setting for a game revolving around gravity and I loved exploring every inch of it while flying around. It was also nice that every section of the city had a personality of its own, with its own music and atmosphere making the run off one end of town to the other much better. Gravity Rush probably isn't a game to have in a list of games to play before you die, but for what it is I loved my time with it and am eagerly awaiting the sequel. If you have a Vita there's really no harm in trying it out. Um, yeah, excellent feedback there. The other way you can feedback to us is in three-word reviews. Uh, on day of recording, at Kane and Rince is our Twitter account, and we will let you know when to, uh, to feed those to us for the given game. Uh, we have plenty of those. I'm going to kick us off with Alex79UK's Topsy Turvy Frustration. Katana Chris says disorienting novel fun. ADKN 1979. Unwieldy inverted fun. Phil King, steampunk flying adventure. Chris Jellyman says fun, interesting characters. Kanan Rince's Carl Moon says annoying, clumsy camera. Ben Parry says soars with charm. And Curtis Spinell, enjoyable, beautiful, essential. Excellent. Thank you very much to everyone who provided feedback for this show and, and generally as well. It 
really is fantastic to hear what you guys have to say when it jives with what we say and, and when sometimes it's uh, it's a different take. Um, if any of the forum correspondence sounded like something you wanted to uh, engage with or get involved with, then do head over to the forums and uh, and chat to those people about this game or any other. Um, our personal summaries. Um, I guess wrapping up this game for myself, I see a fantastic amount of promise in Gravity Rush. I really do. I think um, you guys have all said the basic mechanic of flying around that world is really intriguing. It just it demands to be played with and just experienced. And the artwork, what what you guys said, speaks to that in, in spades. It just intrigues to the degree and the possibility um, that the world and the game would present. I think the art and the sound just feed into that exceptionally well i i like the characters in the game i really do and i think that they and the world in general have a lot to give and and make me believe that a sequel really could give us something special i i do absolutely agree with with what you guys have said and, and as I, as i've said the side missions that are often fun there's an awful lot of them there are an awful lot of challenges that i ran out of steam on very quickly and the length of time it takes to get through the story, partly because of the repetitive nature of having to redo boss fights or um, just generally in, interact with the various different mechanical aspects of the game, there are the way in which that gra that really uh, essential gravity mechanic is used isn't always as exciting as I hoped it would be. It does feel repetitive. Um, it's kind of like the Nevi, the whole game I would wrap up. The Nevi are what they need to be. They are malevolent force. They move in interesting ways and they are disturbing and they, they do add to the game. But there's something fundamentally lacking about them as an engaging force to deal with in the game. And there is something fundamentally lacking about this whole game presented to us, both in terms of narrative and gameplay. I think it just it needs something else and, and I hope that something else is a sequel. I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what can be done with one and I'm, I'm willing to to go and see if if it can if these issues we've talked about can be resolved um but generally i have largely very positive feelings towards gravity rush i've got to say um i'm i'm glad i played it i'm glad it exists and hopefully we'll get to see more of it uh brian your overall summary please yes i'm well i'm going to pick up and follow on straight from you in terms of yeah. in, in terms of theme i think you're right it's a it's a game crying out for a sequel and it's a game that i will be there to play you know when it comes out I, I was i was down on the the combat of the game i was down on the story i didn't really follow it but you know there were the, the experience of uh you know hitting that right bumper and, and floating around and flying around the world it, it hasn't been matched on the vita and in the year and a bit that i've owned it i can honestly say that you know i've not played anything like it i've played lots of very good indie games lots of very small scale games that are fun in their own right and they're great for the commute which is where i usually play the vita but with gravity rush i think sony was trying to send a message at the beginning that you could have these deeper uh, more engaging experiences more involving experiences maybe um on a handheld device now they weren't entirely successful with that but the little i have seen of the sequel the proposed sequel 
to Gravity Rush seems like they've kind of they're trying to make the the movement and the fluid uh, the combat sorry more fluid, and hopefully mm-hmm. that's the the direction they'll move in and that's what they'll deliver because that's what it that's what it missed is that uh, seamlessness a seamless quality between you know fly, fighting and flying and landing and you know moving moving around the world. It, Never got old, never got boring, but it just could have been done smoother. And I hope that they'll they'll now nail it with the sequel. And, and as I say, I'll be there. So, yeah, for a game I paid nothing for, having been a PS Plus member, I can't uh, I, I can't really say whether it was how much I would have paid for it. But if you see it going cheap, yeah. I'd, I'd pick it up. And you and if you've got a Vita and and you're looking for something that demonstrates what the machine can do, this is the game for that. I think. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, Jay, yourself? I'm going to be really boring and say that you guys kind of covered all the bases with that, (laughs) really, because you guys kind of summed up exactly how I feel about it. I feel there is plenty of potential within this title, and I kind of, you know, look forward to to see if they, um, where they might go with it, if they, you know, if it happens. So it's just, um, the only thing I would kind of, and I suppose it's a, a slight criticism, I really wish they would make better place names because if there's one thing that really kind of irked me was like Hexville, Old Noir, Plejune, Endestria. It's like, what the <laughs> hell? <laughs> like, really? Like, yeah. it doesn't, doesn't exactly sort of roll off the tongue in many ways. And it's, I don't know. It's just, yeah, it's, yeah. I, it, I just kind of always, I mean, okay, good natured about it. It was just like, yeah, what yeah. the hell? <laughs> it's just, <laughs> Yeah, but, uh, you know, what can you do? <laughs> okay, thank you very much. Uh, Ryan, would you like to close us out with your thoughts on Gravity Rush? Yeah, yeah. Uh, probably echoing a lot of the things that you had said before. Uh, Gravity Rush is a really special experience for me. It's uh, it, it's difficult for me to classify, and it's another open-world game. And so, uh, kind of in the tradition of open-world games, like, just cause 2 and grand theft auto and red dead redemption there's a lot of uh yeah there's the story that you can play through and then there's a lot of just the ability for you to make your own fun and for me personally i i was i was kind of so-so on the story and Mm. a lot of the kind of main attractions to the game but what i really just loved and just really had that connection with was the comparison I made before to a Tony Hawk game where it's all about exploring the environment with just like really, really tight controls that uh, are really novel and fun to use and allow you to explore the world in a really uh, creative way. And yeah, for me, just the the flying and the falling and just navigating the city and flying around and picking up those gems uh, was so much more... Uh, so much more immediate and fulfilling and felt so much more real than a lot of other games that have tried similar things like, uh, you know, Crackdown and Saints Row 4 and Superman 64 and, you know, all Mm -hmm. these great games from the past. Um, (laughs) But yeah, it's, you know, difficult for me to say that I loved every little thing in the game because I, I didn't, but I think that there's enough there with that, uh, very unique and very uh, kinetic and rewarding 
flying feeling that you're not going to get anywhere else. And I'd say if you have a Vita, you know, you, you should definitely check this one out because it's a, it's a special one. Excellent. Thank you very much. Those are our thoughts on Gravity Rush. Thank you very, very much for listening. And I'd like to say a massive thank you to everyone that provided uh, feedback to us. And also to uh, Brian Tarrant, Ryan Heyman, and Jay Taylor. Uh, next time around on Kane and Rince, we will be super smashing greats. Brothers. <laughs> Millie? <laughs>